of Acts. And we've been studying the book of Acts, and some people say that the book of Acts is not pers- uh, prescription, prescriptive. Let me use that word, prescriptive, meaning it doesn't tell you how you're supposed to do things and how you're supposed to specifically live your life. But it's more descriptive rather than prescriptive. Describing how God moved and worked in that time and in that culture to bring about His will. But I would say that it's both. It's both prescriptive and descriptive, wouldn't you? Because the Scripture tells us in 2 Timothy 3, 16-17, it informs us that all Scripture is God-breathed. It's spoken, it's inspired, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So all Scripture is, and this book of Acts is. It's showing us not just how Jesus continued his ministry after he left through his disciples, and how he built his church and reached the pagan world, it shows us how we're supposed to do it as well. We need equipping. We need direction. We need encouragement in our relationships, in our perspectives, our beliefs, in our life work, in our direction. We need help to live by faith. And the book of Acts gives us that. And it gives us it for not only the positive things in life, but it gives us direction on how to face persecution. We're going to be talking about persecution this morning. Why does persecution come? And how can you face it with confidence and even with joy so that God's work can be done, His will can be done, and a blessing can follow? How can you do that? And really, does blessing follow persecution? Because we often tend to look at persecution in a very negative way. But I'm here to tell you that it can be very positive. And it usually is positive if you live through it by faith. So let's just read God's word this morning. It's found in Acts chapter 4. And I'm going to go verses 1 through 22, but I might stop early. I might stop after verse 12, but we'll see. I'm just going to let the Lord lead. Let's read God's word together. Remember, this is after Peter and John were just heading up during the time of prayer earlier in the book of Acts. And as they headed up, they saw a beggar there sitting, who'd been begging there for a long time. We find out later, and in this chapter, that he was 40 years old, so he'd been there many, many years. He had legs that were shriveled up. They hadn't been used for all those years, because he was born that way. So those legs weren't working. And he was asking for money. And what, and what resulted was that Peter and John gave him what they had in the name of Jesus, and they healed Jesus healed the man through him, through Peter, and through John. This man's legs, he stood and they became strong. They were never strong before. What was withered became normal. And he walked, and he jumped, and he was praising God. It was an amazing miracle. And because of it, it got everybody's attention. And so, Peter and John began to speak about it. In fact, Peter began to preach to these folks in the temple. And he began to talk to them. And people were repenting, but some weren't. And so that's where we pick it up here in chapter 4. And it says that the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees, they saw what was coming up and they saw what was happening. And they came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. And they were greatly disturbed. You got the power brokers. These are the people who control what happens at the temple. These are the people who have the power. These were the people that put Jesus to death. And here they are showing up. And you know, Peter and John knew that. But they show up. And they're disturbed. They're greatly disturbed. You know what that means, right? You know what that means. They are more than greatly disturbed. Because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Sadducees didn't like that. Because they didn't even believe in that doctrine. The Pharisees did, but not really. So nobody was really living that out, and and so they didn't like that doctrine even. But they were proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. This person we put to death. And they seized Peter and John. You know, when someone seizes you, that means they're not nice with you. 
They're grabbing you. They're arresting you. They're binding you. And they want, they want an account. And they seize Peter and John because it was, and it says, because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who had heard the message believed. Man, you ever been seized? You ever been put in the back of a, of a cop car? I'm, see, I'm looking at some cops here, and so I go, yeah, they know. Have you ever been put in jail overnight? Let me tell you something catches your attention. It does, especially when it's the first time. It catches your attention. And so it caught their attention, I'm sure. And they put them in jail until the next day. But many who had heard the message believed, so that the number of men who believed grew from, remember it was 3,000, 10 out of 5,000. Wow. The next day, the rulers and the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas. See, there he was probably the president of the Sanhedrin. He had been a high priest. And a lot of them were related. And John and Alexander and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them. And they began to question them. They're trying to intimidate them. They're trying to show their strength and their power in numbers. Uh, that could be very daunting for people who aren't used to that. So they bring them before them, and they begin to question them. By what power or what name do you do this? And then it says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. How bold is he being? <laughs> whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, this God you say you serve, raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. This man who's been totally decrepit for 40 years, who had no legs, they became legs again, and he stands, you cannot deny that, and he's healed. The stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone, the main stone to the building now. And you totally rejected that. And then Peter adds in verse 12, and I love this, and people who are gray and people who want there to be a lot of ways to heaven don't like this verse. But this is what his apostles said, and this is what Christ said. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Period. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. I am the gateway. I am it and there is no other. So that just critiques right away every other religion and every other religious philosophy of the world. And it tells it that it's not accurate and it's not true. And people don't like to hear that. Isn't that true? Especially if you adhere to that and own that. You're not really happy about that in the beginning. And you're pretty fighting mad. Now, after time, you may want to consider and question whether you're really true because somebody would be so bold to say that. But at first, you're not. And it says in verse 13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, it takes courage. And they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished. They were flabbergasted. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they, couldn't, they could see this man who had been healed standing right before him, there was nothing he could say. Well, sure there was. They could have accepted it. They weren't ready. They didn't like it. It was challenging their authority and their power. So they weren't going to have it. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, and then they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They said, everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they've performed a notable sign, and we can't deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we've got to warn them not to speak any longer to anyone in this name. And then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes. 
to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. He had been that way all that time. How could you deny this miracle? How can you be confident like Peter and John? How can I be confident, even joyful, when we face opposition, when we face persecution, when we face harassment, intimidation, or even maltreatment because of our faith? We don't experience that maybe a lot here in the Midwest. But you do experience it. I don't know what you've experienced on the job. I don't know what you've experienced in your family. I don't know what you've experienced in your neighborhood. But there are people who will bring opposition against you and your faith. They'll bring opposition against you for sharing your experience with Jesus. Maybe you just keep your mouth shut and your head down so that they can't say anything to you. You want to avoid all persecution, all opposition. I'm telling you, that don't work. And it's not best for you or for them or the world to do that. So what is our scripture telling us here today? What is it telling us? Well, here's the first thing we're going to focus on today. And we're really going to go only hit one point of the three points. Okay, it's a big point, And it's an important point in many respects. If you and I, as followers of Jesus, if we're going to talk about what we've seen and we've heard and we've experienced in our relationship with Jesus and his kingdom, I'm here to tell you something. You're going to be persecuted. If you're going to talk to other people about what you've seen and you've heard and you've experienced in Jesus, or what he's taught you, or what the scriptures have taught you, you're gonna be persecuted i hope you're being persecuted oh <laughs> what yeah and i hope you teach your kids to want to be persecuted i hope so because i'm here to tell you if they're experiencing jesus if they're learning anything from jesus if he's speaking to them they're going to want to talk about it and if they're talking about it they're going to be persecuted it comes with the territory. There's no way to have one without the other. It's so important to our, our upbringing as disciples. We're going to be persecuted. People are going to be greatly disturbed by what we say and teach. They're going to confront us. They're going to try to stop us. They're going to threaten us with everything from losing our relationship with them. Well, I'm just not going to be your friend anymore. You know, I don't want you to lose friends. I don't, but I hope you have lost friends because you've been willing to stand for Jesus. Not, I'm not telling you to be obnoxious. I'm not telling you to be, um, oh, you know, uncaring. No. But, but if, you've, if, if you haven't had any stress and the possibility of losing a friendship, come on. You're not being out loud with your faith. You're not talking about what you've seen and you've heard. Because that opposition is going to come. And so I hope you've experienced that. And if you haven't, I hope you're, you're willing to experience it for Jesus. You know what? You might, you might suffer social humiliation. You might be called an idiot. Or like um, Brent was called, you know, that's mental illness. When he told his atheist friend about Jesus and he, he described what happened to him and how he was saved and the guy said he had mental illness. He's being socially humiliated. You might f suffer that. You might even suffer a job or promotion loss. Man, does that, that can happen. Because people don't like you and they don't like what you stand for. And usually that's where it stops in our culture. That's pretty much where our persecution goes to that extent. But in other cultures, like Peter and John, the persecution that they could face could be physical violence, where there's more than blood. There's blood, okay? Incarceration 
you're thrown in jail, you're thrown in prison, even death, even death. And people for many generations had been put to death because of their trust in Christ and because of their belief in what Jesus was saying and because they would talk about it. That wasn't just happening in the first century. That was happening for many generations, and it happens around the world today, just not here, because we pitch complete tolerance. You know, don't rock the boat. Um, And it's not really to our best interest. Why does God allow persecution? Why would he allow his followers, his dearly beloved, to face something like this? In part, it's because of this, and this is kind of our first point. We're going to kind of talk back through this over and over again. Growth, the reason God allows it is that growth comes within a, an environment of resistance. You can write that down. You know that. I know that. Growth, becoming stronger, becoming more skilled, comes with an environment of resistance. That's why we always tell our young athletes, oh man, you got to play more. And oh, we got to take our kids to these better tournaments. We got to give them better competition. Why? Because they've got to meet that resistance if they want to keep growing and moving to greater and greater levels. Growth comes within an environment of resistance. That's what happens. And if you and I never experience any resistance, well, we don't grow. And we become out of shape. And we get weaker. That's what happens when you don't have any resistance. You just atrophy, don't you? This is what happens after you spend years of working out and eating massive because you want to get real big and then you quit doing anything. Right here. This is your body. You can look at it. It's a physical symbol to you. It's what happens. It atrophies. It gets puffy. It gets soft. And it gets to be a pain to carry around. Right? Because that's what happens. So, if we don't experience regular resistance, even resistance that pushes us to failure, because that's a great catchphrase in working out, going to the point of failure. That's where you grow. Right? You'll never be strong. You'll never be. You'll never be equipped if you don't push to that place. So I'm here to tell you, disciple, don't be afraid to talk about your faith. Don't be afraid to not have all the answers. Don't be afraid to be in a discussion where you just kind of run around and go, "Uh, okay, I don't know. That's okay. You're finding your limit. Now you can go research it. Now you can grow. Now you can pray through it. And you can get to a new level. So don't fear those things. Growth and strength will always come within an environment of resistance. Tell yourself that. You know, I was so blessed and I, that I came to know Jesus in a, in a family that didn't go to church and didn't know Jesus. Because <laughs> the very first day, I really found the Lord. And he changed me and I went home. And I told all my family what I had done, the decision I'd made. And it was great for me to feel like they were like going, dur, dur, dur. you know, Kelly's become a, a nutcase now. He's become a, an extremist. He's, uh, he's a holy roller. That's what one of my, my brothers said, my older one. My holy brother, holy, praise Jesus. You know, to try to ridicule and give me tr- trouble. Because it was good for me to feel that. Because I had to go, man, this was real. And it's worth taking that. Because this was real, and it changed my life. And then I started telling them about how it was changing me. And they were just looking at me like, what is going on? But they had never experienced anybody who had actually been changed by Jesus. The best they had experienced is just people who went to church. They were good church people. They weren't people who actually had a relationship with God and whose lives changed. I didn't know that, but I started experiencing that. And I ran into all sorts of resistance because of it. Well, that happened, too, in high school. I, I was blessed to be in a secular high school. Oh, man. That was awesome. In California. So, you know, it was ready to rock and roll. And it was, uh, it was the jungle sometimes. 
And in my senior year, during football season, you know, and I experienced these things over and over again. I have too many of them to tell you all of them, but I played football. And I uh, played football since I could remember all the way through college, right? And so I'm in my senior year in high school. And uh, it had to be a Monday because we're all in the big locker room putting on our stuff. Now, we got a slide up here I want them to throw up. See that there? That wasn't us. That's Notre Dame. We weren't that buff in high school. Okay, I'd like to say, yeah, there was me. Okay, no. Anyways, but see, that's kind of stuff that happens in a locker room. If you've ever been in a locker room, I've been in many, many locker rooms and many, many sports. And that's kind of what happens, you know. And it must have been on a Monday because we're all putting our pads back into our practice uniforms. And we're around the lockers like these guys were. And, and it's kind of open and everybody can hear everybody and everybody's having a good time. And guys, after a week, because high school football happens on a Friday night, right? So you really get kind of two days off unless you play on a Saturday. And so they, they were just wanting to be together. And they have pinned up energy. And there's all sorts of stuff going on. And so I knew many of the guys I played with from middle school. Um, in fact, I knew some of them even through elementary school. So we had been around one another for a long time. And a number of these guys had watched me repent. They watched me. They knew me when I was lost and living like a sinner. And then they also knew me and watched me repent and come into a relationship with Jesus and change in high school. And so they, they were familiar with some of that. And so by this time, as a senior, I'd made some big strides. It was in the fall of my senior year. And big strides in following the Lord. I never tried to push my faith on anybody. I was never going to cram it down anyone's throat. But I was open and vocal about my faith. And I did live it out loud. Because I believed I had an opportunity I believed there were other people that needed what I had. And, and yet, football players can be gregarious, but they can also be destructive and rough on you. So, as we got together on that Monday, we began to put in our pads and, and began to, you know, go through the, the motions of those things and cut up like that, there was a friend. And it was really this guy, depending on the year that we were in, we were either friends or we were rivals. He was either a, a person that was endearing to me or he was a big pain and you know my what else, down here. And um, he didn't know the Lord. And so he gets real loud all of a sudden and he starts saying some stuff in hopes of humiliating me. So he announces to the whole group like that and team, he starts out, you know, it was Landenberger who took me out and got me involved in such and such, and he named off different things, and he did a list of sinful things that pretty much he had done the first time with me. And he said I was responsible for that, and maybe I was. And I acknowledged to the room, yeah, he's right. I'm sorry, I did. I was wrong. I'm sorry I was a bad example. I asked him to forgive me. You know what? And... Uh, and I, I know that's not who I am now. And I kind of gave a little bit of an explanation, but not much. Because, uh, you know, I knew he was just out there trying to poke the bear, trying to create trouble, and everybody was involved now. So he smiled and he kind of remarked to the whole room as he's kind of doing stuff like he's not paying attention to what I'm saying. Yeah, it was Landenberger who corrupted me. Yeah, he's the big corrupter. And I thought, shoot. Uh, I, don't, I don't get that honor. You were corrupted way before me. <laughs> you know, but thank you for thinking I have that much power, right? So he's giving me this stuff. And it's getting, you know, getting a little bit whatever. Because you know, I'm a young man. I'm, I'm still not ma totally mature. And I got a lot of testosterone racing through me. And this is the guy who always likes to push me to my limit. But I'm trying to be a witness for Christ. And so I'm sitting there. And before I had a chance to say anything more... Uh, see, you got love. you got people that defend you. Even people who don't know Jesus defend you. And so this voice pipes up. Another friend who knew all of us, too. He could be a loud mouth, too. And he goes, hey, so-and-so. So he says to my friend, Landenberger repented. Landenberger's going to church now. And he's following Jesus. Since he was such a big influence on you, and you followed him into sin, and he corrupted you, are you going to follow him out of sin now? 
<coughs> are you going to do that? And are you going to make Jesus Lord of your life now and start going to church? All of a sudden it went silent. He didn't know how to respond to that. He didn't expect anybody was going to call him on that. And I just sat with my mouth shut thinking, Chip, me. <laughs> Touche. Touche. That stopped the heckling. It stopped that brief time of persecution in the locker room. And I consider that stuff light stuff compared to some of it I faced. And I, want, I, I tell the story, you know why? When I was in Colorado, I found out that this guy who heckled me came to Jesus and he made him Lord and Savior of his life. Let's give God a hand for that. Amen. He's now a brother in Christ who was once a prime, you know what, in my behind. But he's now walking with Jesus, and he's a brother. And it tickled me to think that maybe I played a slight role in him following me out of sin and into a life of Christ. Now, would it be worth it to face that kind of resistance and foolishness in your witness for Christ? For one people, for one person to come to Jesus, wouldn't you say, it's worth it? It's worth it. <coughs> That's how I felt. All those times and all those things I experienced were worth it because he knows Jesus now. And he's saved. And that was light. Wouldn't you take even more to see someone come to Christ? I hope you would. And I hope you'd say yes. Because that resistance that I faced, that foolishness that I endured, it, it grew me and made me stronger as a disciple of Jesus. It, it matured me and helped me to grow. But what if you and I, and what if I would have kept my mouth shut about what I have seen and heard and experienced with Jesus? What if we kept it to ourselves and called it our private religion? Because really, religion is just your, your own beliefs and it has nothing to do with what other people think or do. What if we had avoided living our faith out loud because of the resistance around? What if I would have done that? What if I had shrunk back from the opportunities the Holy Spirit was giving to offer the good news to let my lost friend know that God was actually there and there was another way to live? Another way to experience life. What if I just kept my mouth shut because I didn't want to experience the pushback? What if? I don't think that brother, he may not be with the Lord today. Because he needed it. Do you know people need to hear from you? Do you know that most folks' studies have shown that most folks don't come to Jesus until they've heard a witness of Christ at least five to seven times? For the first five to seven times, and maybe sometimes it's even ten to twelve times, they reject it. Nope, don't want to hear it. Nope, I'm not interested. Nope. But once it gets to where they hear a constant witness, there comes a time where they start going, well, maybe there's something to that. Maybe I do need to check that out. See, persistence breaks down resistance, doesn't it? Persistence in faith can break down resistance. Walls fall over time that won't fall immediately. And God knows, and some people will never come to Christ. That's okay. But just because you have resistance doesn't mean you're supposed to stop. Growth happens for everybody in the environment of resistance. So we must not fear or be discouraged, or render silence because of resistance. Rather, we've got to be encouraged and even joyful, knowing that we're going to grow now. Growth can happen now. We have an opportunity. Look in our passage, the intimidation and the persecution of these religious leaders. Look what it resulted in. I want to consider it, and we have a, well, there it is. All right. And I'm going to list those for you. 2,000 more believers were added to the church. Do you think Peter and John were okay with what they were experiencing as far as persecution in the temple? Spending a night in jail? Being threatened, being beat up, but not actually being beat up? 
and 2,000 people came to Christ and turned their lives over to him and were saved, do you think they said it was worth it? Oh yeah, you better believe they said it was worth it. It was worth it. Peter and John became more practiced in relying on the power and in filling with the Holy Spirit. Did you see in our passage? They were filled again with the Spirit. They understood that they could rely upon the Spirit. That He would be an ever-present help in time of need. That He could meet them in their need. And they became more confident in that because of this experience. And God was glorified. Peter got to preach Jesus to the leadership of the Jews. Do you know who was probably in that group of the Sanhedrin? Paul, the Apostle Paul. It might have been the first time he heard the Gospel. Did he reject it? Oh, you better believe it. He rejected it so much so that he got letters and, and threw Christians in prison. And he was on his way to Damascus <coughs> to put them to prison. He stood by while Stephen was stoned to death early on as well. But Jesus kept witnessing to him. And then when Jesus knocked him off his horse and, and blinded him with the light and asked him why he was persecuting him, he said, who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus, who you are persecuting. He gave his life to God. And then what did the Bible say? Jesus said, he'll learn how much he'll have to suffer for my name's sake, but it'll be to my glory and to his blessing and to the blessing of the world. And it was. Thank God for that. Number three, so number four, Peter, people hostile to the gospel had to confirm that a miracle happened. That a miracle of healing happened. And so it caused them to have to confront their own misperceptions and whether they might need to be open to the gospel instead of hostile to it. The enemies of Jesus were confused. I had a professor in college who once told me, when we said, man, we are confused, and he would always go, great, great. Because when you're confused, you have now the ability to learn. And you know you need to learn. So always push yourself to be confused. Because you'll get through it to learning. Well, that's where these people were. It was moving, it was moving the needle. Finally, Peter and John grew in boldness, and they were bolder for Jesus than ever before. Because what happens is you become practiced and confident, you become used to it, you become more effective. And they became more effective. And then finally, God the Father and the Lord Jesus were glorified. They were glorified. People were praising God because of this healing. People were praising God because of Peter and John's witness. There were people that were praising God while others were not and resisting it. We as individual believers, and especially the church at times, will sometimes modify, we'll tap down our witness of what we've seen, experienced, and heard in our relationship with Christ. And we do this because with a misguided desire to avoid confrontation, to avoid persecution, to avoid making anybody uncomfortable or upset. You know, it's okay to be nice. It's okay to be kind but we need to tell the truth in love. In the end, if we just avoid these struggles and this resistance, it doesn't do anything, anything good for anyone. It's not good for the gospel. It's not good for the kingdom of God on earth. It's not good for the person that is resisting us, nor the people, um, nor for us who are trying to witness. It, it doesn't do anything good. Nobody grows and nobody goes forward this way. So if you want to make sure you don't go anywhere with Jesus, then don't ever talk about your faith. If you don't want to go anywhere with Jesus, don't ever talk about what you're experiencing. Don't ever try to have any experiences by faith. And don't share it with anybody, and especially not with somebody who may not receive it. That'll be a sure way to never grow and never go anywhere with Christ. But that's not what you want. We must listen to God. We've got to obey him instead of those who oppose us. We've got to continue to speak about what we have seen and heard regardless of the threats because so many of them are just threats. If we do this, we will grow. If we do this, God will move miraculously. If we do this, people will come to faith and be saved. God's kingdom will grow on earth and the darkness will be pushed back and overcome. 
The Bible says that the gates of hell will not prevail against us. There's power in the name of Jesus. Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. He wants to use us. <coughs> but we have to be willing to step forward. But what if we don't face that resistance, that persecution that way? We and everything around us, if we don't face persecution and resistance that way, it's just going to go flat. And there'll be no move, forward movement. And this condition is going to stay until we end up going backwards and not growing. And there are some that are doing that. They're going backwards now. They're not growing because they're not willing to live by faith like that and step up into the face of persecution. They don't believe that God's going to meet them there for some reason. See, God doesn't want you to shrink back. But he doesn't want you to be combative or obnoxious either. He doesn't want that extreme either. Neither one of those extremes. Hebrews 10, 32-39 says this. Paul wrote this later in his life. Remember, those earlier days after you had received the light, when you endured a great conflict full of suffering. Do you remember that? Maybe some of us can't remember that. Because we haven't lived our faith out loud. It's time. They did. Sometimes it says you were publicly exposed, exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison, joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. For in just a little while, He is coming and, and will come and will not delay. And but my righteous one will live by faith. And then God adds, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but belong to those who have faith and are saved. We can have faith. We can be saved. Therefore, if growth happens within an environment of resistance, ask yourself some of these questions. Why are you always trying to make your life easier and free of resistance? Why? You believed and bought into the 21st century lie of the good life. You've believed and grown into that there's just no need. No need. I'm going to make my life easier. Why, if you believe that growth happens within an environment of resistance, do you avoid any challenge, all risk and all pressure? See, you wouldn't avoid these things if you believed it happened within an environment of resistance. Why do you seek to live and insulate yourselves in the most cushy, safest, and homogenized experiences as possible. Why? I'm not saying that we throw ourselves or our children to the wolves. But we're missionaries on a mission. We're the sons and daughters of God on earth. We are not of this world. But we have a mission on this world to seek and to save the lost. You gotta, you, you've gotta, you gotta allow yourself to have a little risk and challenge in those things we got to be careful of avoiding risk and challenge and pressure. Why do we hold harmony and peace as the highest values in our relationship with people who if we don't share with them because these people are lost, they will be on their way to hell? Why don't we care? Why do we stand and just look at them and say, well... It's a shame. Bless their hearts. They're out there in that ocean. They can't swim and they're going to drown. Bless their hearts. Told them not to go out there, but they went out there anyhow. I guess whatever. You know, you had a chance, I guess. We're, we're kind of sometimes just too indifferent, aren't we? Hmm. We need to let them know 
that they have an opportunity now to be saved. We need to take the opportunities we have to let people know what God is doing and that they can be saved. If you and I as believers want encouragement and confidence in facing persecution, and I'm telling you, you know what? Persecution's coming. I'm here to tell everybody. This nation's going to change, and it's going to come. And it is in a lot of places in the world already. But there'll come a time, and even if it doesn't come widespread, it will come in your life if you're going to live out loud for Jesus. It'll come. But if you want encouragement and confidence in it, you've got to understand and you've got to rejoice over the reality that growth happens again within an environment of resistance. Have I said that enough? Do you get that now? Growth happens. I sound like your old coach, huh? No pain, no gain. But think of the gain and the strength that can come. Persecution signals to the evil one um, who's not happy about it that God is moving. And your prayers and your witnesses are stirring things up. So let's pray in the name of Jesus. Let's bind the strong oppressor in the lives of lost people, regardless of the resistance. Let's talk about our faith, what God is doing in our, in our life. Let's do that. Let's share the good news of forgiveness and healing power in the name of Jesus, regardless of the pushback. And let's grow and let's become stronger and let's allow others to grow and become stronger in this environment of resistance because this is the will of God in Christ concerning you and me. He's placed us here for that. He's placed us to be involved in that. Let's do it. And if we do it, God will be glorified. And we'll grow, and the kingdom will grow. So bring on the persecution. Amen? Amen. Stand with me, and let's close in prayer. Amen. Amen. We're not sadists who are just looking around for, and running around just for pain, but we are looking to be glorify, glorifiers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that means that we have to act, and we have to speak. And we do. In the name of Jesus. Amen. And we need to endure. Let's pray together. Father, I just give you praise and bless you, Lord, that you just continue to move in our midst. <clears throat> God, that you had a purpose and plan today in this message because you want to equip us to be encouraged and confident enough to face persecution that you want us to be bold in our faith and to step up to your will and your calling for our lives. God, we know there are people in our lives that need to know about you and people that we have not and we've been hesitant to share with. And we've not been, we've just not had the motivation to tell them. Lord Jesus, motivate us today. Show us who we are to share our faith with. Show us who we are to stir on to love and good deeds and, and to accepting you as Lord and Savior. Show us who we're supposed to, even if they're going to resist it, we're supposed to be part of the witness that gets them to the place where they're open to accept it. So Father, show us in our families, in our neighborhood, in our workplace, in our schools, even in this church. Show us, Lord. God, we ask this in Jesus' name. So we thank you for this, this, this principle. We thank you for this truth that growth happens within an environment of resistance. And help us to not fear that resistance knowing that your will is for us to grow and to complete the work you've begun in us. Knowing that that will make us a, a, just a, a masterpiece both to you, God, as well as to the world because we will shine your glory to them and they will come to know you. So Father, use us and give us all that confidence and bless us. Equip us as we go this week. May we make a difference. May we make a difference and may we bring the power of the name of Jesus and bring the healing and the truth and the salvation that comes with him. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. And we all said together, Amen. Lord bless you. Lord bless you. Have a great Sunday. But also, Lord bless you as you face any type of persecution this week. 
Now, I want to also ask you to keep praying for progress on our restrooms. Um, I'm not sure if there's anything else. Keep praying for people in our church. Um, we have some folks getting sick and dealing with sickness. Uh, if you don't see them here today, keep them in prayer and reach out to them. Amen? Are there any other announcements? Uh, gotta, you got to meet little William over here. He's with us for the first time and his dad, Devin. Um, anybody else? Father's Day's coming. Thank you, Heather. Oh, thank you, Ashley. Father's Day coming up, so don't forget to really love your father and, and go big guns, amen? All right, have a great Sunday.